What is up, people? My name is Reese, or Next Gen Novelist. Welcome back to the From Zero podcast, where I talk about my thoughts and experiences as an aspiring author of the next generation. I have been away for about two weeks, so if you actually are someone that happens to listen to my podcast, you may have been wondering where the heck was it for two weeks. Podcasts normally don't do that, especially not as early as uh, as this. I really didn't want to have to do this, but it was a deliberate decision. I wasn't just being lazy. Um, as I said, I believe in my last podcast, I was getting quite busy with uh, the end of uni coming up and stuff. And essentially, um, I just went to put a lot more of my focus onto university. I'd be lying if I said I didn't have a spare 20, 30 minutes to do podcasts. But, you know, uh, it's just one of those things where when you're in a certain state of mind and when you're in a certain flow, you're not really, you know, in the mindset to uh, do anything else. I'm sure you will understand, especially if you're writers, you know what it's like to uh, to, to not always be in the right headspace. That's not an excuse. Uh, that's something maybe I'll talk about in another video. But anyway, today's podcast is about emotive writing. Before I jump into it, though, just want to make a few points, uh, just give a few little notices. I posted the prologue to the novel I'm currently working on on my website. So um, you can go and check that out. If you just go on my website, nextgennovelist.com, go to the My Writing tab. It will be probably the latest post. If it isn't, it'll be somewhere there. Um, yeah, so it's just my prologue. And it's not very long, it's quite short, but uh, it gives you a little bit of an insight into, well, I mean, it practically tells you what the first thing you'd ever be reading if it were a published novel. Um, you know, it's the first page, uh, and I believe it would be about a page as well if it were in a published book, depends on font and stuff like that, but roughly about a page, not too much over. And... Um, yeah, I quite like it. It has the effect I want. It's very strange, but that's good because it's I'm not writing a very typical uh, story. So uh, I believe it captures a bit of the mystique, a bit of the oddness, a bit of the strangeness that uh, I'm quite fond of in stories. Also, the speed pitching video that I keep talking about is done. Don't worry. Uh, the only reason why it's not being made public is just because I wanted to make sure that it would be public at a time when content was coming out more consistently and I knew I wasn't going to be touching really anything for about two weeks so uh, I left it alone but it has been done it is there it's public All, I mean sorry it's on my YouTube channel what I have to do is literally just click a button and it's uh, available so I'll be putting that out in uh, probably about Monday or something and yeah that's pretty much it everything will be back to normal from here on and there'll be a lot of new content coming so stay tuned for that so um, emotive writing that's the topic this is something I really wanted to talk about for a long time this is my personal belief but I believe emotive writing is quite honestly perhaps if you can wrap your head around it the way how I perceive it I genuinely believe it will make your writing commercial I don't even want to say commercially successful but I do think it plays a key part in this okay so the title of this podcast is is as I've written out is um 
emotive writing or the rule of cool. And the rule of cool is something I heard from Brandon Sanderson, but I doubt he coined it. It essentially means that if something is cool enough, you can, you can get away a little bit with a lapse in logic. Okay, so magic systems is where I heard him applying this. So he would say with magic systems, you know, if you're trying to make a, you know, a, a hardcore kind of scientific almost magic system, you want it to be something that people can obviously think of as feasible. It has to make sense, right? Because it's a system. But if there's a cool idea you have with the magic and maybe it doesn't completely make sense you can get away with it because the coolness almost overrides logic. Now, he was talking about that in the context of magic systems, which in my view is quite an obvious thing to apply that to. You would think magic would be cool because that's how we perceive it. But I would say it's not just about coolness because coolness is just one, elicits only one type of emotion, which is maybe awe or something, right? Like, oh, wow, that was so cool. But I believe every single emotion can follow that framework. So anger, terror, sadness, happiness. You know, I'm of the belief that if you can capture that emotion and you can make that emotion so powerful in your story, even if the situation in which it is in doesn't fully make much sense, you'll get most people. You won't get everyone. You'll never get everyone. <laughs> Not everyone's going to like what you're selling. Who cares? But most people will be touched or you'll get a lot a significant enough number anyway and i'm of the belief that that will happen and a recent example is the darth vader scene in rogue one if you've watched rogue one which i'm sure a lot of you have that scene is almost universally considered epic now as human beings we don't always agree on a lot of things but almost unanimously we can agree that was one of the best scenes in rogue one if not the best scene. Some people go so far as to say one of the best scenes in the entire saga, and I damn well agree. And the thing that has to be understood is that I believe, and what I'm trying to get across in this podcast, is that there's an actual objective way you can create that. So in that scene in particular, I would say it's the lighting, right? It's the, it's the contrast between the dark corridor and the red lightsaber. It's how you can hear Vader breathing before you know you can see him. So there's like that tension in those very few moments between when he actually appears. And that another thing, when the lightsaber comes on, that's how he appears with this kind of red kind of tint. And, you know, and then you've got the absolute terror in the eyes of the rebels once they see what this is. You know, it's like, what the hell? Like, what the fuck is this? You know, and you know, you know, you know, and then, of course, the music and... The, the you know just the chaos the panic that a rebel banging on the flipping window trying to get out like all of these things make this scene epic and i'm sure when they were directing that scene they something must have i'm sure they knew you know i'm sure they knew in like they had a vision of just like this is going to be that scene this is going to be one of those memorable scenes everyone's going to go crazy right I don't know how many writers, when they sit down and write a story, do that. I don't know. I'm not saying they don't. I just don't know. But for me, I visualize a lot. I always visualize the reaction of my readers. So if I'm going to kill off a character, I visualize how that's going to make the reader feel. And the thing is, is that I always say with writing, 
I imagine just like with music, you can be a bit tone deaf or maybe you'd say text deaf or something, you know, like, and by that, I mean, I think some people can't actually read into situations very well. And so maybe they've killed off a character and they didn't build up that character's significance very much. And so when the character dies, we don't really understand why there's so much focus put on it. And then we call it melodramatic. But the writer's like, but, you know, it was a really cool character. And it's like, yeah, but he was cool for like five pages. You know, I didn't really get to know him. So why do I care? It's just like, oh, that's a bit of a shame. Oh, well, you know, I don't really feel an emotional attachment to him. But maybe the writer, because they've had that character in their head for years and those five pages meant a lot to them, to them, the death is a big deal. Now, this is, I think a lot of writers understand uh, the difference between those two types of things, between a character who's built up and has a death and a character who's just, you know, just there and then dies. But sometimes some people don't. When you're making emotive writing, you've got to have a very... The way how I think of emotive writing anyway, you've got to really understand what touches people. And the number one way I think you can understand this is just use yourself and use people you know. You know, what touches you in stories? That's how I think of my stuff. When I imagine doing something emotional, it's usually inspired in some way by something I've seen before. And the thing is, is that a lot of those things I've seen are visual media. So quite often they were accompanied by things like music, which traditionally in books we do not have. I wish we did and I think we could with ebooks. But the point is, is that um, we don't traditionally have those kinds of things, right? If somebody buys a paperback or a hardback copy of your book, then they're not going to have a soundtrack usually. You can, you know, I know some authors create soundtracks and stuff, but that's besides the point. The point is, is that we don't really traditionally have soundtracks, okay? So you can't rely on music to move people. You have to do it purely with words. That's it. That's all you got. You ain't got no visuals. You ain't got no camera angles. You've just got words. And using the English language, you have to string your sentences together in such a way that you can elicit a real emotion from your readers. And this is where... One topic which I would like to talk about, which is talent, I believe comes in because I believe the extent to which you can do that very effectively, I'm not sure if it can be taught. Um, I do believe there's an objective way to do this, but I think it, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to explain what I mean with this, but to identify, you know, if I watch a film with, you know, a family member and they cry and I don't cry, Clearly it touched them and it just didn't touch me in the same way. But does that mean that the film failed to accomplish what it was trying to do with that scene? Because one person in the room cried, but the other didn't. You know, so if someone tells a joke and only half the room laughs, was their joke in vain? And I mean, this is the thing, you know, like I said, you're not going to get everyone. But you should understand who your audience is and you should understand what they respond to. And this is sometimes why I have a little bit of a problem when someone says, I'm just writing a story for myself, because that usually does seem to work. And, and you are writing it for yourself. But when you're purely just doing it for yourself with no regard for what people are looking for, you don't get those Darth Vader scenes. You know, you could argue that Darth Vader, the Darth Vader scene is fan service. But 
like does anybody care no <laughs> you know like nobody cares if it's well done fan service no one cares the point is though is that you've got to know how to do those things with the right kind of emotional punches and without being melodramatic or going over the top and understanding how to balance that kind of you know that thin kind of rope isn't always easy um and it's hard, you know, <laughs> it's hard for me to explain because I don't want to talk for way too long. But it's you have to be able to understand basically how somebody reaches that emotional point. Right. So let's use a few examples. Let's say you're going to do a very happy scene. OK, so you're going to do a scene where everyone's feeling good and happy. Now, if you do that at the beginning of the book, that's all right. But there has to be contrast. I think this is one of the main ways you can get emotional punches. You need to be able to contrast things. If there's going to be a happy-go-lucky scene in your book, there needs to be some scenes which are not happy-go-lucky. You need to have some tension. You need to have some drama. You need to have some darker elements. It doesn't have to be the darkest of dark, but it needs to just be a different type of tone to the happy-go-lucky tone. Because otherwise people can't appreciate it. And if they can't appreciate it, it will never touch them in the same way. So a book that's on one dimension and one tone, that's cool, but it's not very memorable. Um, it's, it's, it may be efficient and good at what it's doing. It may be entertaining, but it's not memorable, I don't think. That's my view. Someone may disagree, but I think the most memorable things do tend to be those stories that have these different levels and channels. They have the funny moments and they have the, the sad moments and the dark moments and they have a mixture of emotions because that's what we go through in our daily lives, right? We have a mixture of emotions. We don't live a one tune, one channel life. So in a story, I think we appreciate it a lot when we see characters have you know experiencing an array of situations and emotions not just a complete downer from beginning to end but not a complete roller coaster of fun either so it's got to be a little up and down and we like that drama we like that tension i was saying the other day to uh, my girlfriend that a lot of the time with stories you will see that when you know what are the two most popular genres romance and mystery people like this tension of not knowing what's going to happen or of you know is this going to happen is that going to happen we enjoy it we like that feeling of not knowing what's coming next or kind of knowing what's coming next but we don't know how so we like to experience the journey we like to go a little bit into the unknown but not too far and I like stories that challenge how far into the unknown we can go. And I do mean emotionally as well. Um, I think, for example, if we would look at young adult fantasy, I'd love to see more stories that would challenge the readers emotionally by going a lot darker than maybe people think is, you know, uh, necessary. So... You know, I mean, I tried to Google young adult tragedy the other day and nothing came up, really. Um, I think there was a few stories people came up with, but a lot of these stories were pre-Twilight. And not to say I'm not interested in that, but young adult as it's currently in its current form is heavily Twilight inspired. Right. And so I want to I, I'm interested more in if throughout this Twilight, because that's where my story is coming out. My story is not coming out in 1995. If I'm going to publish my book one day, you know, it's going to have come out after Twilight. So 
it's going to have come out whilst the genre is experiencing this phase of love triangles and all that and i'd want to see if there are stories that are challenging some of these conventions um and going a little darker and a little deeper than maybe publishers believe is necessary or uh whatever and i'd like to see more of that and i believe emotive writing is the key to touching people's hearts obviously but also i think it's the thing which makes your stories memorable and stand out and i'll put it to you like this think of all the best the biggest you know franchises harry potter and star wars and you know these things they're not 100% logical are they and i'm not just talking about because they're speculative but think about sometimes even the plots you know these stories all have plot holes I don't really know any story that doesn't have a plot hole here and there. These stories have plot holes, right? Harry Potter definitely does, you know, with the whole time travel kind of thing and all that. And, you know, these, these things can get criticised and people make jokes. And yet, look at the fandoms. Look at the fandoms. For all those plot holes, for all this, oh, you know, the magic shouldn't be doing this or, you know, um, this doesn't make sense. And, you know, and, and would, would this character really do that? And blah, 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 blah. For all this, these lapses in, you could say, logic... People still adore these things. Twilight. Twilight gets hated on like nobody's business. It's ridiculous how much Twilight gets hated on. And I wouldn't be saying that it's completely unwarranted. I don't really know because I've not read it or watched it. So I can't pass judgment on that. Um, but I'll say that from the way how people react and treat to treat it, it's funny because yet it's still immensely successful why emotion it touched a giant amount of readers in some kind of way that it managed to elicit feelings in them i always say this if you go to goodreads especially with young adult and you read a lot of the reviews and the positive reviews it's a lot of emotional responses yes the negative ones are too <laughs> a lot of anger <laughs> but the positive ones a lot of the time, you can almost see that the person can't completely explain why they like the story. But they still gave it five stars and they're still going to buy every other book in the series. And it's because that book made them feel a certain way. Now, you may read that book and think this book has this plot hole, that plot hole, this plot hole. But emotion is way more important, it appears. Anyway, I mean, it just it's just continuously shown. If something can touch people on an emotional level and actually move them, it's very hard to... I mean, think about it. If a story makes you... If something made you cry, it's hard to say it's a bad story, you know? Um, because you're thinking, man, like, it truly touched me. You know, I mean, that Star Wars, you know, Rogue One, that Darth Vader scene, it, it touched a lot of people... In what it did, I always say as well, if somebody's doing a reboot or a adaptation of something and there was music, say for example, it's a video game, right? And there was a really iconic track in that video game and then they make a film. I always say that iconic track needs to play at a really like epic moment because if you do that, you will touch so many people by doing that and any hangups they may have had a lot for a lot of people will just be waysided because you just touch them on such an emotional level that they forgive you um it's it's an interesting thing i think being able to write with you know a bit of a, a bit of emotion in your your writing it, it does a lot of stuff for you 
a lot more than you might think. And as I was saying, you know, earlier with visualization, if I don't know how many writers do this, but I'm always visualizing how each kind of action the character does is going to potentially elicit an emotion from the reader, you know. So if one of my characters is angry, does the reader understand their anger? Should they? Or do they think, eh, you know, why is she being so difficult? Why is this character being annoying? You know, and do I want them to think that way? So, and I visualize this a lot. I visualize if someone was to throw my book at the wall, what, where would that happen? And would I want them to do that? You know, where do these emotions come where are the moments where someone's going to read my book and just be like, what the fuck? And then they're so shocked they have to stop reading, you know, and tweet or Snapchat, you know, or message like a friend or let everyone know like, oh my gosh, what the fuck just happened? I look for those moments. So if that's not something you do, I would suggest that you at least try it a, a little bit more, you know, try visualizing the effect that your writing will potentially have on future readers you know um even if you're a hobbyist imagine just with friends and family like how they might react or if you just write just stories to put online imagine how that online audience might react to, to what you've written um i think it can really change the way you approach a lot of scenes and i do believe there's a power in it that's understated i'm not sure if i fully conveyed it in this podcast but um, it's something I've wanted to talk about, and and that's uh, that was my one take, no edits, uh, trying to get it out there and on record. So hopefully that made some sense. Um, hopefully you got something out of that. As I said, everything will be going back to normal from here on. There'll be a lot more content, and um, yeah, I'll be pushing out more stuff. Hopefully you'll be enjoying it, and. Be sure to check out my website. You can go and look at my Twitter. Not that I tweet very much. You can look at my Facebook. Uh, you can look at my Instagram. Again, I don't post a lot on Instagram. On Facebook, I'm trying to kind of do a little bit more stuff. And uh, I'll try to get to Instagram as well. But uh, right now, it's mostly on the YouTube front because it's what I'm most comfortable with. And again, you can download this podcast on iTunes. And um, yeah, so... That's all I've got to say. Hopefully you enjoyed the podcast and I'm out. Peace.